Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, this week it's me. And as some of you may know, I really love to read. And when it comes to business and professional development books, I find myself constantly thinking about how different scenarios and different people in my life could benefit from this information. I usually unleash (laughs) this new information on my cohort groups, or in most cases, my husband. So I decided this year I would make a few episodes on what I've learned after I read these books. I particularly like and brainstorm some situations where we could use this information in our day-to-day jobs in AEC marketing, kind of like a book report. Having said that, I just got done reading Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's an ex-FBI negotiator turned business consultant that specializes obviously in negotiation And as I was reading about negotiation tactics, it struck me how useful this knowledge would be for AEC professionals. And while most people think of money when they think of negotiation, this book made me realize we negotiate a lot of things every single day. Wherever there's a finite resource, there's a need for negotiation skills. And I think... In the case of AEC marketing, our finite resource is time. We are constantly trying to get information from people within certain time frames and meet our own internal and external deadlines. And when we negotiate, we negotiate for our colleagues' time and attention to, to a certain topic. And I think applying the tools I've learned and never split the difference is a clear no-brainer. Even, you know, outside of, of work in life, these are just super helpful tools. So what I'm going to do is highlight some of the tools that Chris Voss details in his book and then brainstorm some situations I think we could apply them to. The way this book is broken up is by individual tactics, and that sat really well with me. The way that he described it is like the the first tactics that he introduces is like building a home. So like the ones that he introduces first are sort of the base to build the rest of the house. We don't have a house without all of these tactics. So I'm going to highlight some of these tools and then, like I said, brainstorm these situations. Splitting them up is just the way my brain works as well. So that's what I'm going to do. And because this is such a great book and these tools are so relevant to our work, I'm going to split this out into a few different episodes. And at the end of each episode, I'll give a summary and some quote unquote homework, if you will. And what I want to call out right now is these aren't sneaky mind games we're playing with people. The whole point of any negotiation is to understand your counterpart and these tactics help you do that. You should feel good about using them and practicing them. I I have been practicing them since I finished this book, and I can tell you that aside from helping you navigate negotiating time, 
these are just all around great tools for making you a better conversationalist and a better listener. I don't know anyone who couldn't use these and be a better person for it. So the first skill that Chris Voss introduces is called mirroring. And I know most of us heard like when you're really jiving with someone, you naturally start to imitate the way they're seated, what their hands are doing, their stature. This is one form of mirroring, but we can also use this tactic to build understanding when we use verbal mirroring. So I'm going to read exactly what Chris Voss defines it as here. Mirroring, also called isopraxism, is essentially imitation. It's another neurobehavior humans and other animals display in which we copy each other to comfort each other. It can be done with speech patterns, body language, vocabulary, tempo, and tone of voice. It's generally an unconscious behavior. We are rarely aware of when it's happening, but it's a sign that people are bonding, in sync, and establishing the kind of rapport that leads to trust. It's a phenomenon and now technique that follows a very basic but profound biological principle. We fear what's different and are drawn to what's similar. So mirroring then, practice consciously, is the art of insinuating similarity. So that was a lot to unpack there. But basically, to do this effectively, you need to put yourself in the frame of mind that what you think of the person or a situation is just a hypothesis that you're trying to test. Most of us walk into conversations with assumptions, and assumptions get in the way of listening, which is what good mirroring is all about. It's sort of proving that you are listening. The goal of mirroring is to identify what your counterpart actually needs and get them feeling safe enough to talk about what they want. All of that said, mirroring is repeating the last one to three words someone says, or repeating the most important one to three words. After this, after you mirror, you stop talking and you let the other person elaborate. And the silence here is the, not the game changer, but like an extreme compliment to the mirror technique and doesn't really work. The, The whole mirroring technique doesn't really work without the silence at the end. So the example that he gives in the book is They tested two sets of waiters, the waiters who repeated back customers' orders instead of saying things like, good, great, no problem, after the person had ordered, got higher tips. So when these waiters repeated back orders, they got significantly higher tips. When they just heard the order and said something like, oh, good, great, yep, no problem, they got lower tips. If you're like me, Hearing this got my gears turning about all the different ways I could use this information, and so many different scenarios came to mind. But there was one that really stuck with me because it happens so often, and that is not getting information from people when you need it. And I think we've all encountered this at some point or another in our careers, whether you're in marketing or you're an engineer or an architect, like you're waiting for information from someone, you just can't get it from them. So I, I'm going to lay out a scenario here and we'll try and keep the same scenario throughout these episodes, but you know, I'll, when it's not relevant, I won't use it. But so you're planning on calling 
a PM because a project manager, because you really need a certain portion of their approach. They agreed to write this approach. They've missed the deadline. So number one, you have your hypothesis. I think they're going to say they didn't have enough time, even though we all know that in the kickoff call, they agreed to this timeline, right? And sure enough, when you call them, they say, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to work on it yesterday, but I got distracted. You got distracted? Yeah, I have another project deliverable due in two days. Hadn't, I just haven't had the time. You have another project deliverable? Yeah, it's a priority for our team. Client isn't very happy with how long it's taking. We really need to get it done on time this time. You get the picture. Keep going here. You can keep this person talking for a long time and eventually you will get to the heart of the issue. Another great place I could see using this would be at a networking event or even a meeting with a client. In both these cases, it's about getting to know someone else's wants and needs. And mirroring is such a handy tool for doing that. Just don't forget to be quiet after you've mirrored and give the person a little bit of time to think. So I'm going to pause here. This is a good place to note that all these tactics together build towards something. So when I said, you know, you can keep mirroring, you can, but as I add on these tactics, you'll start to see how they, they work as sort of a combo deal. So combining all of these tactics is what is going to get you to the end results that you want, according to Chris Voss. That said, See now if you can try doing this two or three times a day. It is so easy, but it does take intention. I'm on maternity leave, so I don't really have people to practice with at work, but I have (laughs) done this with my husband, on my friends, with the checker at the grocery store, anyone I want to interact with, really. I mean, I don't do this with anyone I don't want to interact with, but the more I've done it, the more natural it gets. And I will tell you, I have learned some really cool things about total strangers just from mirroring a few words from what they tell me. And this confirms my own personal theory that everyone is really interesting. So Then Chris Voss gives this formula probably for more tense situations because you have to remember that he's he's paralleling this with like hostage negotiations. Uh, But the first one is using the late night FM DJ voice. So that's like dropping your voice to slow a situation down and give a sense of safety. So that's number one. He does note here, though, that that your default tone should be like chipper. So probably only use the late night FM DJ voice when the situation calls for it. The second is to start with, I'm sorry. The third is mirror with an inquisitive tone. Fourth is silence. He suggests at least four seconds to let the mirror quote unquote, work its magic on your counterpart and then repeat. So I'm going to pull my book here and I'm going to read the full example that he gave because I could see 
something like this happening in the office, probably pre-COVID, before we were all working remotely. Okay, he says, One of my students experienced the effectiveness of this simple process at her workplace, where her impulsive boss was known for his drive-bys, an infuriating practice by which the boss would suddenly swing by one office or cubicle unannounced with an urgent, quote-unquote, poorly thought-out assignment that created a lot of unnecessary work. Past attempts at any kind of debate created immediate pushback. There's a better way was always interpreted by this boss as the lazy way. Such a drive-by occurred toward the end of a long consulting engagement, one that had generated literally thousands of documents. The boss, still skeptical of anything digital, wanted the security of paper copies. Popping his head into her office, the boss said, let's make two copies of all the paperwork. I'm sorry, two copies? She mirrored in response, remembering not only the DJ voice, that's why I did that wrong, sorry. I'm sorry, two copies. <laughs> but to deliver the mirror in an inquisitive tone. The intention behind most mirrors should be, please help me understand. Every time you mirror someone, they will reword what they've said. They will never say it exactly the same way they said it the first time. Ask someone, what do you mean by that? And you're likely to incite irritation or defensiveness. A mirror, however, will get you the clarity you want while still signaling respect and concern for what the other person is saying. Yes, her boss responded, one for us and one for the customer. I'm sorry, so you're saying that the client is asking for a copy and we need a copy for internal use. Actually, I'll check with the client. They haven't asked for anything, but I definitely want a copy. That's just how I do business. Absolutely, she responded. Thanks for checking with the customer. Where would you like to store the in-house copy? There's no more space in the file room here. It's fine, you can store it anywhere, he said, slightly perturbed now. Anywhere? She mirrored again with a calm concern. When another person's tone of voice or body language is inconsistent with his words, a good mirror can be particularly useful. In this case, it caused her boss to take a nice long pause, something that he did not often do. My student sat silent. As a matter of fact, you can put them in my office, he said, with more composure than he'd had the whole conversation. I'll get the new assistant to print it for me after the project is done. For now, just create two digital backups. A day later, her boss emailed and wrote simply, the two digital backups will be fine. So I could, obviously, this is pre-COVID because everyone had to get pretty comfy with digital during COVID, but I read that and immediately thought of being asked for extra print copies of proposals, even though a submission was digital. And yes, that did happen to me. And yes, it was annoying, but I did it because I didn't have these tools. So then building off of mirroring, the next skill that Chris Voss digs into is called labeling. The actual chapter name is don't feel their pain, label it. I love that. We always say, yeah, I feel your pain or I feel you. And this labeling thing makes downer conversations a lot more successful. This is where he also introduces tactical empathy, which is sort of like his trademark throughout his books and all of the podcasts that I've listened to with him. His point here is that there's nothing more frustrating than talking to someone that you feel isn't listening to you, which is 
very true. And according to Voss, empathy is the ability to recognize the perspective of a counterpart and the vocalization of that recognition. And like I said, I've listened to a few interviews with Chris Voss and others, and he does a really good job of making the point that you don't have to agree with someone to understand them. And tactical empathy is understanding the feelings and the mindset of another person in the moment, and also hearing what's behind those feelings so you can increase your influence in all the moments that follow. So this just seems like such an important one to understand, especially now in what I feel is a time where we've all forgotten how to disagree respectfully and in a time when, you know, it's going to be, there's, there's tense situations currently and coming up. He also notes that labeling helps validates someone's emotions by recognizing them and acknowledging them. And this one actually sort of shocked me. So label should not use I and instead be observational. I don't think I'm alone in saying that we were taught to, instead of saying you, taught to say I. And labeling sort of takes it one step further. And the three examples that he gives is starting these statements with, it sounds like, it looks like, it seems like. So if someone's telling you a story and their voice sort of cracks or, you know, goes down in inflection, it seems like that's really upsetting to you or it sounds like that's really upsetting to you. If someone rolls their eyes during a certain part of a story, it looks like that is really annoying to you. So that's sort of the way he recommends to approach it. The same rule here goes with silence. Once you've thrown a label on something, give it some time to simmer. Basically be quiet. Labeling will also help neutralize negative emotions and reinforce positive ones. This one is really interesting because I think most of us have also worked with that one person that just always seems to be having a bad day. And I have always struggled to interact with these people. And I wish I would have known this sooner. But let's take it back to that scenario I posed earlier about the PM who couldn't write the approach for your proposal. So you call this PM, you tell them you really need this portion of their approach. You have your hypotheses. I think they're going to say they didn't have enough time. And sure enough, they say, yeah, I was going to work on it yesterday, but I got distracted. You got distracted. Yeah, I have another project deliverable due in two days and haven't had the time. You have another project deliverable? Yeah, it's a priority for our team that the client isn't happy with how long it's taking and we really need to get it done on time this time. So this is where we left off last time. And here's where we can throw a label on the situation. It seems like you've got a lot of pressure to get your project deliverable out on time. So why should you write this approach when you've got another deadline? Now, that's what that's one part of it. Now we're going to turn this situation around with a positive solution. So for this proposal to be the quality this client expects, we need your expertise in the approach to keep this project on track. Can we connect in two days and get this approach written out? So 
you've used their language, you've basically identified that, you know, client expectations are important. So you've used that language in your response. You've also identified this being another project because it is your project and the need to respect deadlines. And just totally separate from this conversation with negotiation tools, when you do call this person and have this conversation, record it, use the transcription, pop it into AI, whatever one you use. I use Jasper and, you know, select content improver, see whatever it spits out and you've got your ugly first draft. So that was just a little side note there. Um, basically, by continuing to dig using mirrors and labels, you're going to find out what's underneath the excuses, time constraints, the details, and the logistics. And once you get down to the real emotion driving your counterparts' decisions and actions, you will figure out what situation needs to be solved and address it. And one thing I should also mention here that he reiterates a few times is that in a negotiation, it's not the person that's the enemy, it's the issue being worked through that's the enemy. So in this case, it's the approach not being written that's the issue not the PM. So I'm going to stop here because these two things seem simple, but they take a lot of practice. And I'll be back next time with part two. But I would say, and, and this is the homework that I've given myself, and I will give it to you, is try mirroring and labeling like once a day with random people that you encounter or colleagues, literally any phone call you have can use a mirror or a label. You just have to look for the situations where it's relevant. So a mirror is repeating back the one to three words, either the one, one to three most important words from something that someone has just said or the last three. And then labeling is, it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like, seems like, sounds like, looks like, yeah, those three. And then offering a positive solution. So good luck with that. If you have any feedback on that, or if you have any success stories, I would really love to hear them. I post about these episodes on LinkedIn. You can find the LinkedIn page and the post about this episode. And I don't know if you want to tell me exactly what happened, but yeah, if you, if you feel like it, please let me know if this has helped. All right, we'll chat soon.